is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Twilight Highlight Zone. I'm your host this week, Jeff Cork, joined today, as always, by my good friend, Benjamin Hansen. Dearest friend, thank Dearest you. Dearest friend, Benjamin Hansen. This is the last episode not counting the Franklins. Yeah, kind of, sort of. It feels it feels early to say this is it, boy. But this is the final stretch of episodes that comprise season four. The last batch of new content yes. for season four. So episodes 16 through 18, if we did not belabor the point enough already. Yes. This episode's called On Thursday We Leave for Home. Uh-huh. Okay. Sounds interesting. So the premise of this one is back in 1991. Uh, August of 1991 okay uh, you say back <laughs> yes this is the future but wait let me explain <laughs> i'm trying to so desperately I'm just so confused so back in 1991 uh-huh. this expedition left planet earth for planet v9 gamma which sounds enticing and this is 30 years after that that's where we pick up okay right. so you're uh, with me for a little frame of reference yes Guess what was happening in August of 1991? Uh, let me think. I was turning 18. Perfect. So there you go. Turning into a man. I was becoming the man I am today. A <laughs> uh, little movie tearing up the theaters called Terminator 2. Yeah. So oh, keep that in mind. They fled Earth while uh-huh. Terminator 2 was in the theaters. Yeah. Okay. Carry on. Don't think I didn't do a double feature of that and Rocketeer on the same day. Did you really? Yeah. And you remember that? Yes, absolutely. Of course I remember that. And did you sneak into the second one? No, my friend worked at the movie theater, so it was totally legit. And you realized that Rocket? Did you re- did Rocketeer just look like a complete piece of crap? No. Next to Terminator at 2? At the time, it was fantastic. I still like that movie a lot, but I mean, it was still blown away by Terminator 2, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. good. Oh, what's going on with this uh, Captain Benteen fella? So anyway, Captain Benteen is kind of the... Leader. Well, he's totally the leader of this group of colonists, okay? Everyone had basically lost all hope at this point. Uh, we, we open early on with a... Someone has hung themselves, <laughs> and they're like, oh, there it goes again. And people are upset because Benteen runs this place with a scrap iron fist made of salvaged materials. I I didn't get the sense that people were upset in the beginning. People like, were kind of bummed. Well, someone's hanging themselves. Yeah, someone hung themselves... <laughs> But then there there was a debate when they saw that where it's like, we're on this godforsaken planet. We've been here for 30 years. Mm-hmm. We should be allowed to kill ourselves if we want to. Right. But it wasn't so much like murmuring, this guy really sucks. It's just that no, one explosion. The situation of, sucks. Yeah. Because they, they yeah. talk about like how it's been kind of a, a series of suicides lately. Right. Because everything is running out of, like they're running out of resources. Yeah. Um, and they're kind of having to, like I said, make do and salvage and everything. 30 years is a really long time. Yeah. To, especially if you're on planet V9 Gamma. It just, it's, it, it's tant- tattooing, basically. It even has like two suns and stuff. Yeah, exactly. They and keep it, showing it, the two suns. And it's never dark, I get that impression, and it's always hot. It's like 110 degrees, I think we know exactly. Because Benteen talks to a little boy named Jojo about what Earth is like, and he's talking about how it gets dark and it's green. Yeah. And yeah. I guess I just take that for granted. So I'm, <laughs> really, I'm really going to appreciate that now. But anyway... He kind of gives a speech to the crowd saying, well, you know, if you had it your way, it would just be survival of the fittest. The strongest would eat. Everyone else would starve and all this other stuff. And there's been talk for a long time about 
a rescue ship coming from Earth mm-hmm. to save everyone. And, and then he, he says, there's a ship coming, and he makes everybody chant with him. Yeah. Like, he's big into, like, repetition and yeah. chanting, he, and it kind of plays up the preacher angle a mm-hmm. little bit. Uh, so he makes everybody chant, there is a ship coming. Right. There is a ship coming. You make your own fun. And everybody gets into it. Exactly. They're all super stoked about that chant. Yeah. And then suddenly, meteor storm, and then they all have to run into a cave. So basically, when they're in the cave again, they they talk about uh, Earth and how they miss it and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like he explains to baby Jojo what mm-hmm. it's like back there. Because like the big thing is like, oh, tell me about Earth. Because he left Earth when he was 15. Right. And there's not that many people that are older than him there. So it's kind of no. confusing. Like maybe they were the first to kill themselves or die. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, very unclear. Right. So then, lo and behold, the ship comes. Right. And it lands in, oh, what a ship. It's a UFO, <laughs> basically. Lands and outstep some humans. Okay, so it's good. It's Earthlings. They're from right. Earth. They're here to rescue people just as advertised. So nothing nefarious. They're like, hey, you guys have been here for 30 years. That is tremendously great. Let's go back. And yeah, and it's a very fun scene because they're all like talking with each other. But like, oh my God, what's been happening on Earth? Like it does a good <clears throat> job of like, there's plenty of people on the ship that come. And mm-hmm. so there's just conversations everywhere and everyone's yeah. so excited and like hugging. And it's, it is a great scene where like their first question is like, oh, what's with this planet? Like, is the mm-hmm. whole planet like this? Is it always this hot? And they're just like laughing like, oh God, yes. Place sucks also, so what's hard. going on on Earth? Has it blown itself up yet? Yeah, because Ben Teen has been telling them the yeah. reason we left Earth is because it was basically full of idiots and people who wanted to start wars and it, they were eventually going to destroy themselves. So we left well, I, I would actually, I would beg to differ with you on really? that. I think he is definitely skeptical about like the true nature of man. And like, he's talking to this Captain Sloan mm-hmm. a little bit about like, you know, have we blown ourselves up yet? Because he knows that there is warfare back home and everything. And right. I think he knows why they left Earth. Mm-hmm. But then later on in the episode, he talks about how he was really pitching Earth as like the Garden of Eden. And that was like the place they're finally going to get back to. Okay. So I don't know if he was exactly pitching it that negatively to them, but he certainly believed that you know, humans can't be trusted. Right. Humans are the worst. Right. So everyone is super stoked. They're going to be leaving soon, you know, while it's prime orbit season or whatever. <laughs> it's the other Twilight Zone thing that they do pretty routinely when yeah. there are UFO-shaped spaceships. Uh, and you can tell immediately Benteen is threatened by the commander, and he's kind of like, well, thanks for stopping by, but, you know, my people aren't ready. And then he, he's like, well, you know, they're kind of like children. He's like, well, maybe... When we get to Earth, well, they'll obviously have to stay with uh, with me because they're mm-hmm. they're like children. They've they've grown up with our, this surrounding. We're kind of like a community, but I'm in charge. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, and even that uh, they had like the first inkling of this is you know Sloan comes down and he's a commander of this ship, and so he starts kind of being a little bit bossy, nothing crazy, mm-hmm. and then he comes over to him and says like, "Hey, you know, when we're on your ship, you're in command, but I just want to point out that like." I've kept these people alive for right. 30 years. Like on this planet, yeah. I still need to be in command of these people, which is totally reasonable. This Absolutely. Guy it starts has, off totally reasonable. This guy has done an amazing job keeping this group alive for 30 years. With so, the exception of the people that are hanging themselves because well, they're look, so miserable. <laughs> I mean, they're on a desert planet with no night yeah. and with this old guy that has to tell them when the next day has begun. Yeah. It's a weird part of the story. And then they go in the cave. Right. And he is trying to get the group to take inventory just mm-hmm. to like manage the weight on the spaceship. Right. To- again, totally rational. Just like, hey, we need to figure out what we're all bringing. Let's you know get a checklist going. Yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. And then Sloan comes in as the as the party man. 
Yeah. And he's like, hey, who wants to hear about Earth? And everyone, of course, has yeah. a million questions. He's like, oh, come on. We're, I'm weighing stuff here. <laughs> trying to... <laughs> yeah, everyone has questions. And then... Um, then people start talking about what they want to do when they get to Earth. And everyone has their own ideas. Some people want to go to Wisconsin. Some people want to farm. Some people want to visit their relatives. And he's kind of like... It's too cold there. Yeah, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. It's awful. And then Benteen's eventually is kind of like, well, you know, you'll have like a week or two vacation, mm-hmm. but then we're all going to be living together again because we are a community. Right. And people at that moment are kind of like, you know, not no offense, but kind of over this whole thing. Yeah. And then he tries to get the classic chant going of like together. 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 Yeah. And it's like, it starts out with like a couple people in, and then everyone's just like, eh, you yeah, know, well, I kind of want to go visit my relatives in Washington after all. Yeah. I think they kind of half heartedly do it for him, you know, and they yeah. look at each other like, you know, he can't outrun us all maybe when we <laughs> land back on Earth. Right. Right. So they, um, then they go outside again and they're talking about boarding the ship. And Benteen looks around wildly, grabs a pipe. Runs over to the UFO and just starts impotently banging like the undercarriage. Of he it. goes for like the landing gear. Like that's yeah. for a second. I really thought like, oh, this is how this episode is going to end. Yeah. Of course, he's just going to like he's going to dism- go up the stairs. But no, he stays yeah. outside. He like bonks the bottom of the stair, like the little hatch thing, and then uh, half heartedly swings it like a little kid. Yeah, and then Sloan just tackles and- the crap out of him. <laughs> oh yeah, immediately stop that, please. Yeah, and then you see like some extras in the background look up at it like quizzically, like. What was the point of that? <laughs> didn't even ding it. Yeah. So they're, they board the ship and they say, are you going to come? And he's like, nope, not yeah. interested. Leave me behind. I don't want any of it. Mm-hmm. So the ship takes off because, you know, they're only able to leave the orbit within this very specific window. Right. And he runs back into the cave and he just starts talking to himself. Repeating like the same things, talking about like, yeah. you know, the green earth and yeah, he's, cool Yeah, he's telling imaginary Jojo about what earth is like. Yeah. And he's describing the greenness and how great it is. And at that moment, he's like, oh, snap. And he runs out and he's like, don't leave me behind. Don't leave me behind. And at that moment, you know, the ship can't hear him. He's not fitted with any kind of radio nope. transmitter. And so now this guy just has to live as long as he can completely by himself on this planet because he was too stubborn yeah. and wanted to control them a little too tightly. But yeah. What did you think? I love this episode a yeah, lot. Yeah, I liked it a lot too. <laughs> I, I think that this is a, another one of those that with the wrong actor, you if you didn't sympathize with the main character on like a fundamental level, yeah. it would not have worked at all. I'm with you. And it, again, we talked about it a little bit, but I just love how totally reasonable, like either of these guys could have slipped into just like devilish territory. But yeah. like, even though the main guy, uh, Benteen, is kind of spinning out a little bit by the end, it's still not completely, he's not an evil guy. Right. And it's like, it is just the fact that like he has kept these people alive for 30 years. Like, yeah. He describes them as children to this captain, but like really, I'll I'll let him describe them any way that he wants because he's done an amazing job and they're all relatively happy. They're good space Christians out there. Yeah, and that and that's kind of the the metaphor that they're going for is that he's, you know, this uh, preacher on this planet, and then like this outside influence comes in and he wants them to like, hey, let's play baseball, let's just have fun. It's kind of like the temptation of sin kind of thing. Wow. They kind of play Smoke up. Smoke cigars. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. Come to Pleasure Island. It's called Earth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but I just I just love the idea of this colony, and then finally they get in touch, and like people on Earth called them like the lost pioneers. They've been mm-hmm. trying to find him for all this time. Right. And they finally found him, and just what that does to this guy's psyche that he's no longer in control. Yeah. 
And the one instance where like Sloane is a little bit dicky because he's pretty reasonable throughout it too is like when he starts to realize what's going on here, he's just like talking to one of his uh, guys in the ship and he's like, oh, I think we know what's going on here. I think this guy thinks that he's God mm-hmm. and we're trying to take him out of his heaven. Uh, but I mean, the guy wasn't like power hungry. Benteen wasn't like it was just he had a system down and right. he just had to deal with this change. Yeah. I don't think it would have fared very well on Earth. Because as they were talking, he's like talking to one guy. He's like, can you imagine like when you're done with something, you just throw it away. You don't have to keep recycling things. I mean, right. they're used to a very specific way of living. And that lack of scarcity and having all that other stuff to do would just completely change the dynamic. So right. there's no way he could have kept that grip. No, Even no. if they lived on a nice little farm altogether. <laughs> just what he really wanted. Just a nice hot farm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, and then like, you know, Sloane's making the case to them about why they should come to Earth and how they shouldn't listen to Benteen and mm-hmm. stay there or even stay together. He's like, he's like, now it's time to be what God meant you to be, individuals. And then ben, that's when Benteen started explaining that like, hey, I've been describing Earth as this Garden of Eden, but it's a little bit of a lie. It's really a dangerous place where people start wars, people can't be trusted. Yeah. And then Sloane has a, has a line where he's like, you want to know what Earth is? Let me tell you what Earth is. I just imagine like just Serling loving the bejesus out of writing that <laughs> line. Let me tell you what Earth is all about, people. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the power of the individual, it turns out, is yeah. what it comes down to. And shiny boots. Like <laughs> and I very had the shiny shiniest boots. silver boots. And little Boy Scout caps that all of the, the commanders that visit the planet are wearing. Yes. Um, yeah. I really like this episode a lot. I think pretty solid performances mm-hmm. throughout the entire thing, but just I think the story is just great little tale about a guy that has to cope with the biggest change of his life. Yeah. Uh, I'm giving it an eight. Hey, I gave it an eight also. Well, there we go. Space buddies. Cool. Um, Cork, come with me. Let's, let's go on an amazing journey on the SSN. <laughs> SSN. Oh boy. All right. Uh, the passage <laughs> on the lady. Anne is the next episode. Uh, this one was really, I actually, I watched the intro twice because yeah. it, it, it was really confusing. So it's two, a guy and a girl mm-hmm. go into a travel agency and there's a lot of talk where it's really vague, like who these people are, how they even know each other. They aren't lovey-dovey. It's a lot of like, do you really want to do this? Do you really want to go through with this? Yes, we should. Mm-hmm. And she makes some crack about like, you know, why don't you just introduce yourself as Mr. Something-something business, something. So I was really confused about their relationship. Uh, it turns out that they are in a marriage. Serling explains... They're newlyweds, but they've been married for six years, is yes. the idea. And I would think of that being a good thing. You'd think so, but it's there, not It's re- clearly not a good thing. It's not it's- a good thing. This marriage isn't uh, in the best shape right now. Right. Uh, and so they're trying to go to London, and she wants to take a slow pleasure cruise on this boat to go all the way to London because she used to be a stewardess, and mm-hmm. she doesn't want to fly. Uh, the, the guy at the travel agency's. Like, well, why don't you just fly? Are you afraid of airplanes? Yeah. Who, what maniac in the Twilight Zone would be scared of airplanes? Yeah. Yeah. You might see a dinosaur. <laughs> uh, yeah, but she's committed to this. And the husband, it seems like he kind of wants to fly because he has business over in London. Uh, and that becomes a growing thread throughout the episode is that he is very focused on his business. He doesn't have time for the marriage and for loving her and all this mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but she wants to take this boat. And then it's one of those things where it's like, oh, there's no boats going to London. Well, I guess there is this one. We don't recommend it. It's pretty old. Yada, yada, yada. Right. Uh, they buy the tickets for the Lady Anne. Mm-hmm. And they're on their way. And they're going up the 
gangplank. What's that called? Well, I think they're toward the dock, aren't they? Yeah, the yeah. I mean, they're they're yeah. basically boarding, and they meet this uh, old couple out there. It's like you're getting on this boat. Like I can't let you do that. You really shouldn't get on this boat. Right. Let me see those tickets. I want to make sure that you're supposed to be on this boat. It's very cagey about what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're like, yeah, no, we're totally going on this boat. We're gonna go on a nice slow cruise. And he's like, please, I beg you, do not get on this boat. You don't know what you're getting into. And they're like, it's all good. And they get on there. At this point in the episode, did you have an idea where it was going? This boat is haunted. Yes. <laughs> it's a pretty good guess. But then, like, uh, they soon discover that everybody else on that boat is super old. They're the oldest. Yeah. They're, like, on death's door. So then it, I don't know. It's pretty clear, like, okay, this is a death ship. They so, recognize that when there's, like, a drill, like a safety drill. Right. After um, in, the voyage begins yeah. and they, everyone has to put on like life preservers and everything. And it's just this shot where the camera pans and everyone is this ancient specimen of humanity. <laughs> and they're like, uh, yeah, what's going on here? So then there's more people that are trying to convince them to get off the boat. Like, Hey, we'll buy your tickets for four times the price. Mm-hmm. Just please don't go on this voyage. Uh, and they're like, well, what are you guys doing on this boat? Yeah. You're trying to convince us to get off. And they're like, Oh, we're just old and eccentric. Yeah, old and eccentric. <laughs> and she's like, we're young and eccentric. Like, I don't understand what's happening here. And they still can't quite explain it to them. It's a lot of, you know, oh boy, they don't know what they're getting themselves into. Cut to commercial type of Please thing. Please tell us. <laughs> yeah. And I thought the performances in the episode are, are pretty solid. The old mm-hmm. people are great. Uh, but like the the young couple, they do a good job of just like a, you know, not disastrous marriage, but they're just a little bit distanced from each other. Uh, the lady in particular, I thought she did a good job. She reminded me a lot yeah. of Egret from Game of Thrones, actually. Oh, yeah. I look at it in retrospect. Um, and so, yeah, they argue quite a bit about, like, they have, like, this big blow-up kind of in the kitchen about mm-hmm. their marriage and how all he cares about is success and business, yada, yada, yada. And then there's this kind of primary couple that they keep interacting with. And the old guy kind of sounds like, Wallace from Wallace and Gromit because mm-hmm. they're all the a lot of the old people if not all they're of them all English are, yeah they're all British because they're theoretically going to London right um, and then the old guy's wife mm-hmm. did you recognize her no she is the wife from uh, what is it the death episode scared to go alone scared of the dark nothing in the dark nothing in the dark the okay. one called nothing in the dark of course there we go and so they have a long conversation with them about like oh well you do love each other don't you because everyone else on this ship's in love uh and then like the old lady has a line where she's like oh well what my husband's trying to say he's beating around the bush a little bit but it turns out that you guys don't have to die after all and they're yeah. like they're like what and then cut to commercial dun, dun, dun. yeah and then it comes back and then the husband's like she meant of boredom yeah <laughs> It was like the worst save. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. Oh, naturally. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of a lot of that kind of fumbling over the stinger and all that stuff. Now, at this point, have we seen their suite? Yeah, I think su- we need to talk about that for a second. It's very ornate. Yeah, their little bedroom. It's got like beads over the bed and stuff like that. This, I'm trying to think of a way that isn't going to be offensive to say this. This is, I think, this is not like a brothel. This is like what a less classy person would just say. It's like a whorehouse. That's what the, <laughs> like the decor is just lots of beaded things. Yes. And it is, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. Uh, and But they still, they don't spend a lot of time in there. We don't spend, I mean. Well, I wanted to spend more time in there because that was 
That must have been an insanely expensive room to shoot in. <laughs> true, true. Uh, so the mystery goes on, more people being vague about why they shouldn't be on this ship, yada, yada, yada. Um, and then at a certain point, they're looking at the stars or the moon or the sun, something, and they realize that like, <laughs> hey, I don't know, something up there. And they realize like, hey, this ship's going north, not east. It should be going more east, but it's still just shooting straight north, which in retrospect is really weird. Yeah. I don't know what, why they're going north. So people don't get bo- killed. <laughs> Of boredom. <laughs> okay. So they're going north. Uh, and then it's shortly after that, they start to argue a little bit more. And this is where the episode gets really confusing for me because the wife suddenly disappears. Mm-hmm. The husband like looks away and looks back. Yep. And she's no longer hanging onto the railing. And so they think that she maybe went in the water, but he doesn't know. So he's running around the ship trying to find her. He runs mm-hmm. back to the bedroom. She's not there. He's asking everyone. And everyone's like, oh, just relax. She'll turn up. She'll turn up. Yep. She finally does show up again, and she's wearing the honeymoon dress from the old lady that they talked to earlier. And she's like, don't you love it? And then he's like, oh, I'm so happy to see you. And then they get real smoochy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's like, oh, you're drunk. You're drunk. He's like, I'm not drunk. I just love you. But it's a little weird. They never explain why she's wearing that dress and as the episode gets on, there's just more and more weird details yeah. like that where they all talk about, all the old people talk about how they took this ship 50 years ago when it was brand new and they mm-hmm. were in love. But then a lot of the people's spouses have died. Right. And so w- when they were just talking about like how the spouses had died, I was wondering when this lady disappeared, if it was some weird thing where like once you fall out of love and you're on the Lady Anne, then you disappear and maybe like, when they say that their spouses died, they just fell out of love or got a divorce and just disappeared. Like, I was really overthinking this. Hmm. Yeah. And there aren't really any answers. So it goes on. They're in love. Uh, they're happy to see each other again. Uh, and then, like, everyone comes around and confronts them in the kitchen. And they're like, hey, you need to get off this boat right now. And like, what is this? Some kind of game? What's going on? And then... Just whips out a gun. <laughs> old guy takes a gun. He's like, get off this boat. Uh, so they get onto the little <laughs> life raft, apparently, and the husband's like, we liked you people. We thought you liked us. And the wife goes, they do. Yeah. And then they get on the boat and they wave goodbye to all the old people. And Sterling explains that the Lady Anne was never seen again mm-hmm. on her final voyage. It right. never arrived in London. Nope. And uh, this couple was picked up and they're back in love because of the wife. Because it was like super cold because they're way up north. Yeah, she's uh, wearing a nightie yeah. from an old lady. Exactly, yeah. And, and like she has some quote where he's like, oh, you must be cold. And she's like, I've never felt warmer. That's a sign of hypothermia, <laughs> actually. <laughs> and they hug each other and uh, then are saved. And yeah. all those old people went to the afterlife in the North Pole. Yeah. Somewhere around Greenland. Santa at, yeah. <laughs> land where they were turned into elves. This would have been a great episode if they had that can from Kick the Can. Wait, like somewhere on the boat? Yep. And they could all kick it and they'd all be young people on the boat. And then, but then it becomes like a weird division where like there's two warring tribes between the young people and the old people and the young people are trying to get off the boat. Yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. It's a weird thing to try and talk about like what this episode's about. I guess it's about love mm-hmm. ultimately. And old people. Staying in love, rekindling love and just... Yeah, the length of relationships, because there's a lot of, 
you know, there's like a scene where they went around and kind of pinpointed like, oh, you know, this guy, he's been with this lady forever. And they, they look kind of miserable. And it's like, oh, this guy lost his wife four years ago and now he's limping away. He can barely even walk. And so it's a lot of just about detailing the way all these different people dealt with their relationships right. before they died. It's a really ambiguous and vague episode, but I, I like this one too. I didn't like it very much. Oh, do tell. I just thought it was kind of boring. Just a lot of old people on a boat. Yeah. I wasn't I, expecting an explosion or like a closet to open with a skeleton or anything like that, but it just seemed like they just kind of meandered around and then the guy had a gun, which was interesting. <laughs> like they really did not want them on the boat, but you think that if <laughs> you think they, if they really, they would have persuaded them more in the beginning. That if, if they, they would have known this boat was basically the boat from the end of Return of the King sailing yeah. off to the afterlife. Yeah. They really can't come on. Yeah. But I, yeah, I don't know why they had to keep it a secret. Or why the travel agent had a relationship with the <laughs> the vessel in the first place. He was able to sell them tickets. And it's confusing to think about the Lady Anne in general because it was conceived as like a, a honeymooner's boat. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why they have it on their file. But yeah, that's the weird part too. Where it's like, at what point does it stop being the honeymooner's ship probably, it's theoretically been in service all this time right probably the first time that people sailed on it and ended up in the afterlife yeah and yeah, this probably when it stopped <laughs> okay i yeah I, I like the mystery of it do you have any more insight for why no she was so changed and why she wore that dress and where she went why she disappeared i have no idea maybe is, do you think it's conceivable that it is that idea that like because that was the low point of their relationship when she disappeared is it that idea that maybe she disappeared off the ship because it was a love ship after all? You would think that the low point in their relationship would have happened before they decided to make an effort to go on this last ditch effort. Or uh, right, yeah. Know. But I mean, they make it. They after but, their fight, they do explain yeah. like once we get to London, like we're gonna part ways. Yeah. It's like yeah, I think that's for the best. Let's just yeah. survive these thirteen days with the uh, Wallace and Gromit over here mm-hmm. uh, and call it a day. Um, I, I agree that it was old people on a boat and it should have been more boring, but I think the mystery of exactly what was going on was handled well enough where I was I was intrigued, especially by the end of it when they don't answer anything other than this boat's going to the afterlife, this episode's about love or something. And I know normally we've complained about vague episodes and whatnot, but I, I like I this like one. some vague episodes, though. I don't okay. think you need to explain everything, but this I just didn't care ultimately what happened you got to give it up for the performances though i think everybody did an amazing job that sure. old couple was great they yeah. had some banter back and forth mm-hmm. all right <laughs> i think you're you gonna like this episode more than i did i will not accept this uh, uh ended up giving this one a seven i gave it a six. Oh, okay so <laughs> you're like agonizing over this it's like i give it a three or something really hurt me yeah all right um okay that's passage on the lady Anne. no answers for you i'm sorry next up is the bard oh god regale me with the tale of the bard okay this is going to be a quick retelling because there's not a whole lot to this episode in my humble opinion yeah so it starts off with this hack of a writer and he's talking to his agent about all these like pitches that he's had and you immediately know something is wrong because there are sound effects this is supposed to be a funny episode, you could tell. Written by Serling, which is which is a deadly combo. <laughs> and it's weird because it's not just like sound effects, but they actually, it's like comical music. Like they compose mm-hmm. the music to the episodes. Like every time they're listing something, yeah, the music's like, like he'll say like, I'm trying to think of like, like he had a peanut butter. 
jelly. Exactly. And raisin bran. It's <laughs> <laughs> a weird example, but yeah, it's I mean, exactly. I was just trying the, to think of, yeah, you know. No, no, anyway, I, I, I'm picking awful. up what you're putting down. It's exactly yeah. that type of thing throughout the entire episode. Yeah, a yeah. lot of that kind of stuff. Anyway. anyway. I want to point out, though, like when he's talking about the different pitches that he's had to his agent and like which ones uh, might work, yada, mm-hmm. yada. He talks about a zombie story and he's like, what about he's that really zombie story? zombies, yeah. Which is pretty impressive. This is 1963. Yeah, and popular culture... I think at that time, Night of the Living Dead... Nope. I looked it up. Night of the really? Living Dead is 1968. Oh, wow. God. But the, but the weird connection here is like one of the most popular zombie stories... I mean, zombies existed, but they weren't they that were popular. Like, no, and they were not what we consider a zombie right, now. Right. It was like a, a slave, essentially. Sure, sure. And one of the more popular zombie stories up until that point was uh, I Am Legend, mm-hmm. which was written by Richard Matheson, who also worked on Twilight That was Zone. vampires, though. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's vampires. Oh, uh, well, never mind then. But you know who the the main guy is? What episode has he been in? Uh, Monsters are due on Maple Street. He was the loudmouth there. He was so the John Favreau lookalike. Exactly. Yeah. So he still looks the same, maybe a couple years older. But anyway, so he basically is pitching all these ideas and they suck. And the guy says, you know what? Maybe you need to do some research because mm-hmm. your ideas suck. Right, right. They suck. <laughs> and also one of, the, one of the fun things that he pitches or talks about was I forget if it's him or his agent, but they make some mention about like some game show that was made for a half hour format and like how it really can't support an hour long format, mm-hmm. which is awesome commentary on the last episode of the entire yes. season of the fourth. Yeah, like, I think there's a lot of that kind of meta humor about yeah this even season even yeah even in like Serling's uh, intro yeah he talks about like oh this guy may not write for an episode of the twilight zone but he's going to be a writer in an episode of the twilight zone right yeah there's a lot of twilight zone meta commentary in mm-hmm. this one so anyway he goes to a bookstore and eventually ends up buying a magic book a book of black magic so in kind of like that uh, carol burnett episode he ends up on the bus where some wacky hijinks occur he he's trying to like read some magic spell Lava voom, zaza zoom, <laughs> exactly. he says. And it isn't working, and he stands up, and the bus driver looks behind him and like slams on the brake, and there's probably like a sound of a hubcap falling on concrete, and then a cat screeching, and then <laughs> he's out of there. And he goes to his apartment, and he's oh, still boy. trying to do these incantations. Yeah. He summons. Wait, no, no, no. Oh, the little girl. This is this is really what we have to dive into because they try and build up this relationship yep, between little girl. him and this like 12-year-old girl who they keep giving these joke lines to and she blows it. But also the jokes are not funny to begin with. Right. But like this whole episode is constructed as if these two have amazing chemistry and this they just have nothing. <laughs> and so like she walks in and she's like giving him crap about his you know, summoning book and all that crap. And he goes, <laughs> okay. So he talks about like, how he has that black magic book mm-hmm. and she goes, so tell me Faust to what end? Like that's her big stinger to the camera. <laughs> yeah. And then also he goes, this is an exact quote from this episode from 1963. This guy saying to a 12 year old girl, he says, don't you dig? I'm conjuring baby. I'm conjuring. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> So eventually she leaves because she... Well, she tells him there. to go take a cold shower yeah. and then she leaves. Yeah. So he, he tries doing some more va-va-voom and it's <laughs> not working. And then he says something, he brings up William Shakespeare's name and a big, huge flash of light. And there is 
the bard himself, William Shakespeare. And he says, give me a stick and I'll beat it to death. <laughs> Which is the only funny part of this episode. Yeah. Well, there's a part later on that I like, but go ahead. So basically he's like, realizes what a hot commodity he has. And uh, William Shakespeare looks over at the writing desk and makes a joke about some kind of clockwork writing contraption, how droll or how quaint or something. And he's like, well, here's the deal. Uh, sit down. I'll give you a, a quill and some ink, which he just happens to have. <laughs> he's like, I'll brew some coffee. Get going. Because he figures he's got his own William Shakespeare because he's like, I'm at your command. Right, right. He's like, just write something. Just write anything. You can do like a riff on that whole Romeo and Juliet thing. Yeah. He's an idiot. They really play that up throughout the episode. He keeps like mispronouncing things and mm-hmm. says like Ingrid Berg- Bergman instead of Ingmar Bergman and yeah. all this dumb crap. But it's also funny because... Shakespeare is constantly quoting himself mm-hmm. in his own plays. Yes. And then at one point he forgets the line from Hamlet and it's a big joke. He, he's dressed in like tights and like everything. If you imagine like a picture of Shakespeare with that collar and everything, that is Shakespeare. Yeah. And uh, and he he's able to speak in a like modern terminology and like slang and all that stuff. But he writes like old school Shakespeare stuff. Right. Just so you know. So anyway, he... Um, our hero goes to his agent and he's like, check this out. It's great. And the agent looks at it and lo and behold, it's great. Right? <laughs> it's like Shakespeare. They say know. it's worded a little, you know, it's kind of ancient uh, yeah. terminology and whatnot, but that the story holds up. Right. It's good stuff. So everything looks great. They're going to, they're going to make this show. Right. But then the advertising goons get their hands <laughs> on it. <laughs> And they change everything from like uh, onions. There's a uh, reference to onions, and the, like the guy's like, "We don't sell onion soup, so we want that out." We're gonna change it to turnip. Right. And everyone's like, "Yeah, turnip works just as fine. That's yep. great." Yeah. Exactly. Things are good, <laughs> more or less. He's like the biggest superstar in high demand, and he visits the set of the show, mm-hmm. and uh, a young Burt Reynolds is is like a um, a uh, young Marlon Brando, Marlon Brando kind of like method actor. He like does make a really a, make a lot of jokes about that. Yeah, and just how douchey Marlon Brando what's my, is apparently. What's my motivation for walking through this door? And it just like is agonizing over why he's going through the door. Yeah, and he's wearing like the exact getup that he wears and like on the waterfront and stuff. Yeah, but like and they even introduce him as like, oh, this guy was great. And uh, what is it? Had a had on a cot, cot tin roof. <laughs> no, wait, no, streetcar named Desire is what yeah. they first bring up. And it's yeah, like, okay, yeah. I think I think Brando was in that. Yeah, yeah, but like. Burt Reynolds does an awesome Marlon Brando impersonation. Oh, it's fantastic. To the point where, like, when it first started, I was like, is this, this isn't Marlon Brando. Okay, it isn't. But then I looked it up and it's like, oh, it's Burt Reynolds, of course. I should have seen that. Because he doesn't have a mustache. Right, right. It's really bizarre. Yeah. So anyway, um, this thing is a disaster, basically. (laughs) But uh, that doesn't phase him. You know, he he continues on and he's going to, I think it's a big success, right? Ultimately, commercially. Uh, I don't know if they get to that part because they're just still kind of blocking it out. It's right. kind of the practice. But the problem is with the practice, they have the guy who's like the sponsor sitting there. Mm. And he's it's, he's throwing in a lot of suggestions. Like, my wife didn't like that line. She changed it to this. Can we get rid of balconies? Nobody likes balconies anymore. That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So then the agent, you know, he's always lo- moving ahead, you know, he's looking for the next best thing, right? So then he's, he comes back, the writer comes back to the agent's office and he's like, all right. I've got the next big thing, right? Check this out. Check out my writing team. And then a parade of people. I'm going to get my my list of people. Well, wait a minute. Before you get to that, yeah. I mean, there's, still, there's still a little bit to cover here. 
I mean, you didn't mention the fact when Shakespeare is upset that this other guy is taking all the credit. And so then he goes to the practice and he just can't stand any of the actors. Mm-hmm. He's like, this Esmeralda doesn't look like that. This person's not supposed to be like mm-hmm. that. And then he just is so disgusted with the amount that the douchey main character is just uh, bending the play to go with the sponsor and the advertisements that right. he just storms out of there and he's yeah. gone forever. Yeah. Goodbye, Shakespeare. Right. Yeah, so obviously that le- that moment left a big impression on me. So. <laughs> Dude, Shakespeare punches Burt Reynolds in the face. It's yeah, amazing. So then his next follow-up yeah. is going to be a story about America and his team of right, like consultants comes in. Yeah. And they are. This is a who's who. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Robert E. Lee, Ulysses S. Grant. Starting with the best, yeah. yeah Abe Lincoln. Uh-huh. George Washington. Yep. Pocahontas, oh. followed immediately by the soundtrack does like Indian music. Oh, of course. Daniel Boone, uh, Benjamin Franklin, and Teddy Roosevelt. That though they're Ta-da! gonna help him. What a write. joke. <laughs> you know what? It, it's it's not a funny joke, but we complain, or at least I complain so much about the Twilight Zone, like never really capitalizing on its premise. And even like I took that note before the end of this episode is because it's like it just gets bogged down to this guy's relationship with Shakespeare and how funny it is to edit the work of Shakespeare. Right. Um, and it's like, they aren't even mentioning the whole black magic thing anymore. Like they're not taking advantage of that plot at all. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciated that at the end of the episode, it's like, well, F it. Here yeah. is just a parade of ridiculous things. Yeah. Pocahontas and Daniel Boone, I guess, <laughs> were a lot more popular than... Yeah, I can see that. They're really going to help out with this uh, American history play. Yeah. They're really going to sell it. It's going to be great. Yeah, there's also one more fantastic exchange yeah. between the 12-year-old girl and the, the main douchebag at the end. Uh, it, well, it starts out when he's bummed out when Shakespeare leaves. Uh, it cuts back to those two, and she goes, For a whole week now, it looks like somebody told you to go out and scrub a lizard. <laughs> <laughs> so that's her big insult. Yeah. Just the, the witty rapport between those two. Yeah. Man. I hope they didn't plan to make this a like a pilot episode <laughs> at the same time. You also forgot about the fact when he was riding high. I wish I could remember this guy's name. Mr. Moomer. Mr. Moomer. Uh, when this guy was riding high uh, and he had all these deals coming in, there is the worst effing sequence where he's like, uh, maybe I, I can do anything. Maybe I could even do a little musical on Broadway. Oh, And God, then he, he does, does like this side... stupid da, dance. Da, da, da. Yeah, and of yeah. course the the soundtrack is just playing it up so hard throughout that entire sequence. Yeah, I forgot about that part. Yeah, but it is so much of the episode just the joke of like these idiots wouldn't appreciate Shakespeare with their editing equipment and the corporate control over the sponsorship mm-hmm. and con- you know content of this program. Uh, so it's just you know Serling being his most Serlingy. Really, yeah. this episode is really up its own ass when it comes to the writing process. Especially, don't get me wrong, I like the Twilight Zone an awful lot. But yeah. There's a lot of episodes of the Twilight Zone that maybe could have used some interference. Yes, yes, absolutely. And it's like, it sucks because it is a fun premise that you have like bringing Shakespeare back and what would happen if he was trying to write for TV. Yeah. But just every scene with that main actor, it's like Kevin James could have brought in a more subtle performance for this main character than this guy because it's just constantly over the top and like the only scenes without him were the Burt Reynolds Shakespeare scenes those were funny and those were funny and fun yeah absolutely but this guy just drags it down he's just he can't do it nope Uh, but 
because but, of that stupid ending and yeah. because of Shakespeare punching Burt Reynolds in the face. Yeah. I gave this episode a five. Did you? I did. I gave it a four. Okay. I think that maybe this is one of the few times I've seen Shakespeare portrayed in contemporary-ish American culture where he wasn't holding a skull. Wow. That's a good point. Like every time he would show up like in Tiny Toons, he would have a yeah. skull. Yeah. 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 This is also just a real delight, I'm sure, for Serling to write all the, the Shakespearean dialogue because like the play is mm-hmm. a new play and so it has to create all this stuff. And so as they're rehearsing, it's just a bunch of Shakespearean nonsense. Right. That's uh, how the scholars refer to it typically. Is, <laughs> that's before they came up with iambic pentameter. They just would call it Shakespearean nonsense. Yeah, that's, that's what they do. Uh, all right, that's uh, that's it, man. <sighs> you have you have no idea how relieved I was when the when the screen faded black. Are you you think you're sick of Twilight Zone, or is it no. just the hour long format? I like. I think the hour long format. I like like seeing like more quick hit ideas that where if mm-hmm. something sticks, it leaves me longing for more rather than something sticking and I get more. Right. Because the odds of that happening are pretty rare rather than just seeing like, Hey, this is pretty adequate. Mm-hmm. And it's for a whole hour. Rather, you know what I mean? I, I like lots of like toss out a lot of ideas. Some work, some don't, but you see a lot of weird stuff. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. But you seem pretty down on this whole block of episodes. The last one sucked. I know I was slightly higher yeah. on the first two, but overall, not a bad block. Yeah. I think I think the strength of that first episode with the colony is enough to be like, all right, going out on a relatively high note. A relatively highish note. No matter what happens with Mr. Moomer. All right. Well, our next episode will be the fourth annual-ish Franklin Awards. So send in your categories. Send in your categories. Exactly. We're going to, you know, refine the old ones. I'll look through my mm-hmm. notes, see what makes sense this time around. Absolutely. I think easy categories this time around. Episode that should have been half an hour. Mm-hmm. And Didn't you already say that one was a shoe in for the worst title? Yep. What was that one again? Don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but it's making Perfect. it. Perfect. All right. It'll make the cut. Find out next week. Yeah. Know? Who knows? <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. And uh, feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a rating. Let us know what you think in the comments. And if you had thoughts about our format for this season, it's too late because it's already done. That's You've already put it that. in your ears, everybody. You blew it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Thanks again. And we will talk at you next week. Twilight of Twilight. Twilight. <laughs>
What's <clears throat> Wilhelm up to these days? Wilhelm Brimley? <laughs> Wilhelm Manor. <laughs> Wilhelm Manor. Oh! <laughs> when you ring the bell. What's Wilhelm Manor? It's just where Wilhelm lives. <laughs> the mansion. He's gotten. He's loaded off of this. Are you kidding me? He gets check every time they use it. You think his babies came out screaming? They were quiet because they knew this is not the place. 